One of my desires as a pastor is that each and every one of us would walk in God's power and plan for your life right now. God doesn't live in time and space. God is eternal. Everything in God's world is now. He doesn't have yesterday. He doesn't have tomorrow. He only has now. He sees everything. He's the beginning and the end. What does that look like in our life? This is the Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, lead pastor of Revolution, a four-square church that meets in Harvard Square, Cambridge, Mass. Join us today as we step into the Now Principle with Pastor Chris, where we ask the question, what will you let God do right now? Well, we finished our 21 days of fasting and praying last Sunday night. How many of you uh, this week has been like rough? Where, man, it seems like all hell broke loose. Yeah, well, I could raise him. Well, let me raise our hands. Yes. I mean, there were some good things, but there were some different places. And where, and, and that can happen. You know, where, again, we have to remember we are engaging in the battle. But how many of you said, man, you came up and this week has been amazing? All right, praise God. I'm going to hang out with you guys. <laughs> no, I think the thing that we remember is that we stand. That wherever we are, we talked about that when some people shared. Some had God do amazing things during the fast. Others, it was a struggle. And I think it's the same thing to realize that we walk through all those places, but we stand in every one of them. When we're at the top of the mountain, we're in the bottom of the valley, when we're ever in ever, any place in between. So we started, ta- started talking several weeks ago now about the now principle. And if you haven't been with us, it's very simple. The idea is that God lives in the now and he calls us to live in now. God sees all things in the present. He doesn't see the future. He doesn't see the past. He sees everything now. He doesn't live within our time and space. And so we looked at some of those things. What does that mean? Going back about a month and a half ago, we started talking about a, a word in Hebrew called Shema. Who remembers what that is? It's a process. Hear, listen, and obey. Very good. Yes. That is one thing to hear. It's another one to listen. Another one to obey. As we are encouraging our two-and-a-half-year-old all the time. He hears very well. In fact, this kid has got amazing hearing. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. He can hear a truck drive by in front of our house, and he'll tell you what kind of truck it is. They go, that was a dump truck, or that was a garbage truck, or that was, I mean, and you're just, or it's a bus, or that was a city bus, or that was a school bus. He hears an airplane. I mean, it's, it's amazing. This kid, kid's got exceptional hearing. Now, listening is another thing. I mean, he can be standing from me to this stand, and I can say, Royce, please don't do that. And it will be as if he is deaf. Now, again, a truck could drive by at that moment and he'll say, garbage truck. But dad, what are you talking about? And other times he will hear and he'll even listen. He'll even look at me and you can tell he's listening. But then he still may just go do whatever he wants. So how many of us realize the same thing is true in our life? We can hear the voice of God. We can even listen to the voice of God, but we don't always walk in obedience. And what we're trying to help him understand at two and a half years old is there are blessings in obedience. Everybody loves when you're obedient. Dad and mom love it. 
You love it. There's no discipline. It's wonderful. The same thing is true in our life. And yet sometimes we are about as hard to understand that as our son Royce can be at times. Well, then we stepped into looking that now is the time to engage in the battle. And we looked at it, that we're in a spiritual battle and that God has called us to engage. That we can't just stand as spectators, but we have to be in the action. I was watching, I'm a uh, Nebraska Cornhusker fan. I love college football. It was a good day for us yesterday. We had a, it was a good game. If you're a Michigan State fan, it was not such a good day. But, uh, but I love, and I love watching it, and I cheer, and I make noise, and now I'm getting my son to, uh, you know, go Huskers, it's great. But how many of you know I had absolutely nothing to do with the outcome of the game yesterday? Not, not even one bit. And, and neither did any of the other tens of thousands of spectators in the stands. They had absolutely nothing to do with it. Who, who made the difference? The people who were on the field, the coaches, the people calling the plays, the players who were actually out there. Well, let me tell you, the same thing is true as those who know Christ. We can sit on the sidelines and just act like there's nothing going on and it doesn't really matter. And I mean, what difference do I make? Or we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm getting in the battle. I'm getting in the game. I'm going to engage. God, what do you want me to do? And that was, that was the stimulus for our 21 days of prayer and fasting because we said, this is where we get strong. Over and over in Scripture, we see it, both through the lives of people and through Scripture, that in prayer and fasting is where our spirit gets strong and our flesh gets weak. And let me tell you, every day, my flesh wants to get stronger and my spirit grows weak. I have to choose. I have to discipline myself to say, I'm going to feed my spirit and not my flesh. And that was why it was. We didn't just not eat or just sacrifice something for 21 days to say, oh, look at me. No, he said, because we want to honor our spirit. We want to engage. We want to say, Lord, build my spirit. I want to look like Hans and Franz in the spirit. I'm going to bump you up, you know. Most of you don't even know what that is. You're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I age myself. <laughs> well, I don't know what a uh, modern equivalent would be, but, uh, you know, yeah, I'm Superman or whatever. You know, that. <laughs> That in the spirit, see, because it really doesn't, here's the deal. The enemy is not afraid of any one of us. I don't care how buff you are or aren't in the flesh. He is not afraid of you. If your spirit is shriveled up in a wimpy little, you know, 90 pound weakling like me. But see, what I look like in the flesh, I don't want to look like in the spirit, man. I want to see Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, I'll be back, you know. I want to see, you know, I want him to see in the spirit that I'm yoked, I'm ripped, man. You don't want to mess with me. But the only way that happens is that we have to choose to discipline the flesh and give honor to the spirit. And then we said, and then from that point, how we do it? We got to get out there and actually walk it out. Because have you guys seen that commercial? Uh, it's for one of the gyms, but this guy is all yoked and he goes, oh, so what do you do? I lift things up. I put, I pick things up. I put things down. And I, every time he asks him a question, I pick things up. I put things down, you know, and the guy opens up the side door and kind of exits him out the building and goes, okay, you know, have a nice life. See, that's when muscles have no purpose. 
Big deal if somebody has a whole lot of muscles, but they can't actually do anything with them. I mean, I've known guys I, that, that were, I mean, they were, they were bodybuilders. And it was the craziest thing. Do they get so buffed, their legs would rub together when they walked. I'm going, man, I could say anything to you because you could never catch me. If you caught me, I'd be dead, but you can't catch me. See, you find an athlete who is strong, their muscles have a purpose. You don't want to mess with those guys. Like, you look at these linemen, 6'6", 320 pounds, and they can still run like a, whatever, 5 flat 100 or something crazy like that. I mean, you go, these guys are like animals. I don't want to get that guy mad at me. But we have to use that which God gives us. So what if you spend... 24 hours a day with Jesus, but you don't actually get out into the world to touch any lives. Big deal. Big deal. It's like the bodybuilder who just keeps putting on more muscles, but doesn't actually do anything with them. No, it says that we engage to go to touch the world around us. That's the purpose. That we can love people that are not very loving. That we can pray for people that don't even like us. That we can lay our lives down for people that would never do that for us. That's what it's about. That they may know and see that there is a Savior that saves them from their sin. So today, I'm going to talk about now is the time to walk in your calling. How many of you know that you have a calling? So I would have to assume those that don't raise their hand are wondering if you have a calling. Well, before the end of this day, I pray that that will change. I'm going to read a couple verses. I'm actually going to read a lot of scripture today. So if you don't have a Bible, pick one up off the floor. It'll be up on the screen too. Follow with me. Write them down on the back of your uh, uh, bulletin. There's a place you can write notes. Write them down because we're going to hit a lot of scripture today. And it's stuff that if you've not ever studied, you need to. If you don't know what your calling is, you need to. If you don't even know that you're called, you need to. I love Ephesians chapter 4. Here in verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Keep every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now understand, he's writing this to the church in Ephesus, which actually, they said, wasn't just Ephesus. It was a church in the entire region. So he wrote this to the church. It wasn't written to a few. It wasn't written just to pastors. It wasn't written just to leaders. It was written to any believer. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 12. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now is the time to walk in your calling. 
live a life worthy of the calling that you have been given. I'm going to ask or propose three questions today. And at the end of it, you'll have to answer them. My first question is simple. Do you have a calling? I just asked a question and a lot of you raise your hand. Some of you didn't. And I'm assuming that there are some of you that probably go, I'm not sure. Many of us know Romans 8.28. How many of you know that? How many could you quote that? You know that one. We don't always quote the next few verses. But here's what Romans 8.28-31 through 31 says. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. We know that. We often quote it, especially if we're walking through hard places. We say, okay, God, Your Word promises that everything, everything works together for the good of those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. But listen to the next few verses. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? I love this. If God is for us, who can be against us? How cool is it to know that No matter what happens, you're on the winning team. I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, I love sports. I love playing any kind of game. But I might think I'm going to be on the winning team. But I don't ever know I'm going to be on the winning team. But it says, when God is for you, who can stand against you? I mean, is there anyone? We've talked about that. You know, God and Satan. Little scrub ant on the ground rolling around. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. His intent was that now through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's intent was that we, the church, God's men and women of might and valor, when a lot of times we don't feel like it, but that's what God looks at us and sees. It says, The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you and me. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is an awesome part of the word. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you would not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. It says you've been chosen. Scripture over and over says that we have been called to live holy lives. Do you know what holy means? It means set apart. What is something when it's been set apart? It's been set apart for a purpose. What purpose? The purposes of God. 
to not live and look and act like the world, but to live in a way that it says right here, live in a way so that no matter what the pagans say about you, they got nothing, nothing. They got nothing. Because all they can see is the things that you're doing for God. I mean, how great is it when you live a life that you don't ever have to worry about somebody finding out what you're doing? I mean, you've ever had a cop pull up behind you? You know, you're cruising down the freeway. Are you going down a street? The cop pulls up behind you. What's the first thing you do? (laughs) You look at the speedometer. And when you realize you're going the speed limit, you're like, sweet. I got nothing. There's no warrant out for my arrest. (laughs) I'm not worried if he pulls me over. He's got nothing. It says that we need to live our life in such a way that people can make claims, but there's no validity. See, if, if you don't have a guilty conscience, if you don't have things that you're worried about somebody finding out, see, it's the problem with being a criminal. Is you're always worried somebody's going to find out. But when we understand, we've been washed clean. Yeah, I still struggle, as everybody does, to do the right thing and to not choose to sin. But now, as Paul says, I can choose not to sin. And I don't say that as a ha, 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 you know, na, 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 na. No, it's with a heart of compassion. Say, man, the grace of God is all that saved me. And I want to live a life that glorifies him. I want to honor him, not me. I want you to know him, not me. And some of you might be saying out there and say, okay, well, you know, I hear that. I hear these scriptures. And yeah, okay, it says that you're chosen, you're called, you're set apart. But how do I know it's for me? Maybe that's everybody else. Because they're just better than me. They just had, you know, they, they got born into a better family than me. Or, man, they just grew up better than I did. They didn't make the bad choices I did. What God promises is it goes all the way back to before you were even in your mother's womb. You've heard me say before, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is Psalm 139. One of my favorite parts of Psalm 139 are these verses. In verse 13, David says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's all of you. God knew you. He called you. He he. He tagged you before you were even in your mother's womb. He says he knew you. You're going, how could he know me? Because God knows everything. He knew our daughter before she was ever conceived. And he says, guess what? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
There was a lot of years, you, some of you have heard me say that, I didn't believe that. Because I, I looked at what I saw and I didn't believe that. Let me tell you, God does not look at us the way we look at one another. God does not judge us the way we judge one another. And he says, you, you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're called. So the question is not whether or not you have been called. Because there's just a few verses I could give you a lot more. Every one of us have been called. The question is, will we accept the call? Will we accept the call? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen to verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Again, we are called to be holy, to be set apart for his purposes, for his plan. If you look in, if you've ever read the book of 1 Samuel, it tells actually about the namesake of the book, Samuel. Samuel's mother was a woman named Hannah. So she was married to a man and he had two wives. What's that? Yeah, there's your first problem. Amen to that. (laughs) But he had two wives. And the other wife was very fruitful, had many kids. Gave the husband many sons, which was like the really big deal. But many children, Hannah could not get pregnant. She was barren. And so every year they would make a trek to the temple. And she would bring the sacrifice and she would pray and say, God, give me a child. Because as a woman in that time, if you did not have a child, you were nothing. You had no value. You couldn't bring your husband a child, especially a son. You had no value. So even though her husband loved her, she felt she had no value. She's pouring out her heart to God and she says, God, if you will give me a child, I'll dedicate him back to you. Well, it says that the prophet sees her and she's weeping and crying and he thinks she's drunk. So he comes and he's mad at her. He's like, how could you be drunk in the house of God? And, and she says, no, no. And she tells him, he says, whatever you were praying for, God's heard your prayer. Sure enough, she goes home. God opens her womb, she gets pregnant. The next year, the child is just, you know, a little baby. So she says, I'm not going to the temple. I'm not going to the temple for several years. Says when he was weaned, she says, okay, I'm going. It says, then she brings Samuel. He's a young little boy. Brings him to the temple and, and follows through on her promise to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there are some times I've made promises to God and I didn't keep them. I mean, could you imagine I mean, you're, you're desperate. You, you have no value in this culture. And so you're like, God, give me a child. Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. And God gives you a child. And now you have to honor that. Could you imagine? I cannot imagine bringing our son Royce 
and leaving him with some strange person who I don't know and entrusting them to raise him. But that's what she does. She brings her son and honors her promise to God. You've been listening to The Now Principle with Pastor Chris Gleason, the radio ministry of Revolution Church, where we are committed to being grounded in His Word and empowered by His Spirit. We invite you to visit us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. We meet at Leslie University's Brattle Campus in the Washburn Lounge, located at 10 Phillips Place, Cambridge, Mass. If you would like prayer or more information, call 617-441-0777 or visit hearlistenobey.com. This is a listener-supported program, and if you would like to partner with us, we invite you to go to hearlistenobey.com as we stand for God's Word and God's Spirit in Harvard Square.